Hey, welcome to a new episode of Last Call Baseball, number 141. Happy New Year. I'm Dorian, and it's January. Allegedly, there's no baseball playing. There's no baseball going on. It's MLB offseason. This is why we're only coming on every other week. You know I've been watching some Latin American winter leagues, specifically the Nicaraguan Winter League. Before I start talking about the round robin for a few minutes, I love that the announcers for one of the teams, Tren del Norte, train, the, what is it, the train of the north, one of those guys is always talking about food. And I find it hilarious. Like You can tell his passion for food. <laughs> and I'm like, and it makes me hungry when he starts talking about these dishes that he finds. Back on December 6th, there was a game that Tren del Norte was, ho- was playing at the Tigers of Chinandega, the Tigres de Chinandega, and he was praising the ribs they offer at the stadium in Chinandega, and he was, like, describing all the sides you can have. And I'm like, why can't I fly down there and, and get some of this stadium food? And he was also saying the same thing I think a lot of us say, whether you're in you're watching a game in South Korea and Taiwan and Japan and in, in, in the U.S. and Canada, sometimes stadium food can suck. But he said, in this case, this is a really good dish. And uh, yeah, so hats off to, I forget the guy's name, but it was, it's funny because every time Teren del Norte plays, he's always announcing for, the, for that team and he's <laughs> always talking about food. I love it. But in the Nicaraguan Winter Baseball League, they're in the round robin, which is basically just four teams. They each play 12 games. So obviously they play each other 12 games and the teams, the two teams with the best records after 12 games. They go to the championship series. And the teams that I'm supporting, Tigres, the Tigers of Chinandega, they started off like freaking rock stars. They won their first three games, and now they've only won one of their last seven games. And this weekend, actually, they need to sweep their last two games to get to the championship game. Because if they lose one game, it's curtains, baby. I love the Latin American Winter Leagues because you always have minor league players from whether it's the Dominican Republic playing in the DR or Mexican players or Puerto Rican players playing in Puerto Rico, Venezuelans player playing in Venezuela, etc. You also have some guys who just need more at-bats or need more pitches who also go to these teams and they'll play 40, 60 games in, in through from November to basically January. It's a good level of baseball. It's fun. You still get to watch good competitive baseball. But the one thing that I wish we would do here in the U.S. is, I don't think you could do this because of injuries, but in all of the Latin leagues, again, the DR, Venezuela, Mexico, whatever, if your team is eliminated, then you're a free agent. So you can get picked up by the teams that are in the playoffs. And if and then in the playoffs, if you get if your team gets eliminated, you're again a free agent and you can get picked up for the championship series. And that's what's happening all over Latin America. So you could basically imagine the, that famous stat. I think Mike Trout has played what, the center the future Hall of Famer, center fielder from the Los Angeles Angels. He's played, I think, three playoff games in his entire career. That wouldn't have been the issue because obviously the Angels basically get eliminated every single year. They never go to the playoffs, but he could have been picked up by Team X. So imagine this year, Arizona Diamondbacks picking up Ronald Acuna Jr. for their National League Championship Series matchup against the the Philadelphia Phillies. Imagine the Phillies picking up Julio Rodriguez, the center fielder from the Seattle Mariners. And just, that is awesome. I freaking love that about all of the Latin leagues. And obviously that's something we're probably never going to have in Major League Baseball. Besides the, the Shohei Otani signing with the Dodgers, Yamamoto also signing with the Dodgers. The Atlanta Braves traded with 
the Boston Red Sox. They sent their shortstop, Vaughn Grissom, to get left-hander Chris Saley back. And I'm like, I saw that. I was like, w- why are we doing this? Chris Sale is so injury-prone. I almost feel like I want to stamp his forehead <laughs> with a return to sender sign, like that Elvis Presley song, Return to Sender. I'm a huge Braves fan, but I have zero hope that Chris Sale is going to help any. Is going to help at all over the next two years when they signed him with a club option for 2026 or seven. I forget what it what it is. Fingers crossed. Welcome to the Atlanta Braves, Chris Sale. But I expect nothing from you. But if you do, awesome. Thumbs up. And like I said, we're going to be coming back every two weeks until the, until Major League Baseball ramps up towards the end of March. Before we get to our next guest, I do want to apologize for my audio in this conversation. This is operator error. I had my voice recorded through my laptop instead of my speaker. But you can hear our guest perfectly, which is frankly why we listen to this podcast. This week, our special guest is Tim Phelps, Vice President at Hathaway Strategies Group, a political consulting company. Tim, welcome to Last Call Baseball. Hey, it's great to be here. Tim, Indianapolis is actually one of my favorite cities in the country where you're where you're located. And you know this better than I do. When you're driving out of the airport within five minutes, you just see complete fields of solar panels. And you are in the, not almost like the ethanol business, but you certainly help try to p- push it forward. What is it about Indianapolis and how forward thinking the city is when it comes to energy, renewable energy and all of it? You know, Indiana really is on the forefront of a lot of those types of issues that are really becoming more and more prominent nationwide. When you think about what's necessary for more and more renewable energy projects across the country and really the world, you need space. Uh, You need access to infrastructure. You need access to, you know, the end user of a lot of these products. And for the longest time, you know, Indiana is a, and I'm a Michigan native, so I think we also know a thing or two about uh, manufacturing. But for the longest time, Indiana was just really well situated. We had the river to the south, the lake to the north, and the type of continental climate that meant cold winters and warm summers. We used a lot of energy. We also had a lot of space. Those are the types of things that really helped build Indiana. We make a lot of steel along the, if you've been driving through Indiana, you see the steel plants along Lake Michigan. You see the stuff moving across the river. But for more and more, these renewable energy projects that are making for the next generation of energy, you need a lot of room. And Indiana just happens to have um, uh, great land for those types of projects. We have a, a reasonably uh, sunny climate that uh, make it possible. Uh, so whether it's wind, solar, different types of bio generation of energy, um, talk spend a lot of time talking about biofuels like ethanol. Uh, nearly half of all the corn that's grown in Indiana today, half of our number one crop uh, is initially ground at one of our ethanol plants. And what that's doing is really addressing a lot of the country's transportation you know, energy solutions. It really is an exciting place to be. We have some of the largest solar projects um, in the country. We have some of the largest wind product projects in the country. Uh, we're one of this uh, USA's largest producers of ethanol. So we're really at the forefront. And I think that that really is thanks to a lot of forethought. Um, you know, we've been very lucky to have some great leaders in Indiana, people like Mitch Daniels, um, who really um, could see where the economy was headed and made some decisions to help us get here. 
that's really interesting to hear because like i said i think a, a lot of people just sleep on indianapolis and think of like oh it's a nice midwest town and oh, yeah. i think it's it, i think indianapolis is the second best city in the midwest behind i mean chicago is chicago but <laughs> after that you may you may have different thoughts being a michigan man <laughs> well it's it's really interesting i i've lived in indianapolis now and i came here for work right like it's not like i was like I'm, it's time to move to indianapolis um, but I think it was, it was really lucky for me. I moved here in 2010. Things were not great in Michigan in, in those days and came to Indianapolis and hadn't really known a lot about it. And I, I think it's, it's really lucky. So you can be there and it gives you an opportunity to sort of like view it from an outsider's perspective. Indianapolis really just has a lot to offer. What a lot of people don't realize Indianapolis bigger than Detroit. It's, it's a top 10 city and population nationally and they've really done a lot uh, from a proactive perspective and i know we're going to talk a lot about sports you know sports has really led the way in indiana from an economic development perspective and what they've decided to do um, in attracting a lot of the basketball events attracting the the final four of course you have the indianapolis 500 every year um, it really is um, amazing and what i love about it as a michigander originally you'd be shocked how many places you can get to Indianapolis from in like four and a half hours. You know, it's just like a short car ride. You can be in Detroit, St. Louis, Chicago, Milwaukee, Columbus, uh, Nashville, Louisville, Lexington. Like you can almost be in Alabama in five hours from Indianapolis. Um, so it really is when we have events, we attract people from all over the country. And what people love about it is really easy to get to. We got a great airport, lots of interstate highways. Um, everyone should come visit Indianapolis. I hear things about like Austin saying, oh, in Austin, Texas, it's it's you're a few hours flight away. But I'm like, it's the same thing with Indianapolis. It just doesn't have the cachet of Austin. But I'm like, you're right. It has a great airport and it's underrated food city, I think. <laughs> yeah. You know, we've got fewer hipsters than Austin does. But um, and, and, and they've got the the circuit of America's fine. They got F1. We'll take IndyCar all day. Being a baseball fan in Indianapolis is a little bit hard because you're Theoretically, you're in Chicago Cubs territory, but there is no team in Indianapolis with the exception of the Canapolis. Uh, was it the Cannon, the Cannonballers? Or? So we have the Indianapolis Indians. Oh, I didn't hear. I didn't know about that. So uh, Indianapolis Indians, AAA baseball, AAA team for the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, but it's really interesting in Indiana. And, and I think this is maybe a good way, a segue from what I was talking about before. Indiana is really kind of stuck in the middle of a lot of baseball fan bases, whereas Southern Indiana, you're from South kind of East Indiana, Reds fans love the Reds. Southwest Indiana, a lot of Cardinals fans. Um, Northeast Indiana, there's a lot of Detroit Tigers fans. You know, you got Fort Wayne there. Obviously, lots of Cubs, lots of White Sox fans. And what I th thought is interesting as a Detroit Tigers fan, we've got, you know, the great voice of the Great Lakes of WJR, the 50,000 watts of radio. Uh, they had that here too with the WGN and really, you know, across rural Indiana, there are just countless Cubs fans. Um, and I've always thought it's interesting to see who in Indiana is a White Sox fan versus a Cubs fan until last several years. It was really kind of hard to watch the Tigers um, because you would get blacked out a lot just because of the Chicago teams. So it, it was a little bit frustrating. It's gotten a lot better nowadays um, as the media environment has changed, but um, Indiana is a great baseball market. It's one of the best uh, attended minor league teams in the country. Um, and we've been really lucky. I mean, <laughs> I shouldn't say lucky. 
the Pittsburgh Pirates have had some down years and have had the opportunity to get some great draft picks. Uh, so we've enjoyed seeing them come up, whether it's Garrett Cole, Tyler Glass now. Uh, guys like that have come through and have and got Paul and Paul Skeens is going to be pitching there for a couple of games uh, in the next spring. Uh, I'm sure we'll see some Paul Skeens. I think, uh, um, you know, they've had some great guys come through and it's just fun to be able to see them close to home. So what you're saying is in Western Indiana, there's a lot of young men named Harry. <laughs> yeah. Big, something big like comeback. that. Oh yeah. Big time. People can't see, but you are wearing a Detroit Tigers pullover. As a, a, a fleece, a zip-up fleece, and you had mentioned you're a Tigers fan, and you also mentioned it was tough to watch the Tigers. I thought you meant because of the product on the field, not because of the blackouts. Let, let's let's not talk about the current team just yet. How did you how did you come into baseball fandom and specifically uh, Detroit Tigers? I am lucky to be a son of Detroit. I grew up in Dearborn, Michigan, which is uh, hometown of Henry Ford, uh, just west of the city, and. My dad was a baseball fan and growing up in the eighties in, in Detroit, we had some, at least in the mid to late eighties, Detroit Tigers were good. You know, this was like, we won it in 84. We almost won it in 87. Alan Trammell, Sparky Anderson, Lou Whitaker, all those guys. I just loved the game um, and was really, really fortunate to have had, you know, my dad liked going. You know, and and we were, we lived in a place and where we he could come home from work, and he just worked in the um in a manufacturing plant, and uh, you know he'd come home and we would uh, get in the car and drive downtown, go to the game, and I, we would go to when I was a kid, you know, twenty thirty games a year at Old Tiger Stadium, um you know there there we would get some Chinese food on the way in and. Actually, was I was, and I still am. This is a, uh, I'm a scorekeeper. I picked up scorekeeping when I was like nine years old, and I now if I don't do it, it's like I need to do something with my hands. The '90s for the Tigers, not great, not great for the Tigers in the '90s, but still fun to watch uh, and and to be able to listen to them, go to a lot of games. Uh, we've been fortunate to travel around the country a lot to watch them. You know, and really, as as I kind of went into adulthood, you know, the Tigers, they moved out of old Tiger Stadium, of course, moved into Comerica Park in 2000, uh, was right when I was really starting to be able to drive. Uh, and that was like the place to go. You know, my folks would allow us to go down and and we could kind of explore that park and kind of be independent teenagers. It's just a lot of great memories for me. I, I, I just really love watching baseball live and really just to be able to enjoy the Tigers has really just been a big part of my life. And in, in reality, then what's, what's funny is the Tigers became good in 06. And that was like right when I left Michigan. <laughs> uh, so I, I left town, I graduated from Michigan state in 2005. And uh, that's when I moved to Washington. That's of course, we went to the world series in 2006, which was incredible, um, which set off the uh, really just a, an amazing, you know, six, seven year run where the Tigers were just an exceptional team with Miguel, you know, with Cabrera and Verlander and Prince Fielder and, you know, all these guys and wish we had a world series to show for it, but man, I love the Detroit Tigers. And one of these years, I think we're on the way up though. Finally, the Detroit Tigers, when I'm thinking about their performance in my lifetime is they are, they are very much a boom and bust franchise. I remember in the nineties when they had that uh, home run slugger, he had a mustache, Juan 
What was Juan Gonzalez. Juan Gonzalez, yeah. And then I think it was that same team. I think he was injured or something. And they they and then the pitching staff gave up like a record number of home runs at that time. We set the record for losses in two. Oh, was it losses? Okay, I thought it was a whole, it was home runs uh, allowed. I, I knew it was something bad. The way we played, it's very possible that we gave up the home run record. But yeah, we were the. I think we tied the record. I think we, I don't know if we beat it or not, but it was something like a hundred and twenty something losses. Oh, that was bad. That was yeah. a bad year. But then, uh, as you said, that amazing six to eight year run. Uh, mm-hmm. Going to a couple of World Series, and then now, obviously, the the low years. But it's almost like, is it really so bad? Because you see other franchises, and they just stay low. <laughs> there are no, there are no blips. They're just of glory. Yeah. And what here's an interesting dynamic, and in, in, for Detroit sports fans right now, and I don't want to get down the Detroit Lions like deep rabbit hole, but in many ways, the Lions are experiencing more success this season than they have in decades maybe ever always believed that detroit was a baseball town you know we won we won world series over the decades 35 45 68 84 it was great to see that run of success kind of energize this huge fan base that's now all over the country and because it, it is one of the country's legacy teams you know they there's they've been playing baseball in detroit for a long time and uh to be able to have that success and Dave Dabrowski was a big piece of that. Obviously one of the, he'll be in the hall of fame someday with what he's been able to do with multiple franchises, including the tigers, taking them from one of the worst teams of all time to the world series, drafting guys like Justin Verlander, allowing us to sustain that success. And it's hard to stay at the top of the mountain. It really, really is, you know? And I think that, you know, I wish you could be a team that has that type of sustained success in this environment. I think it's really hard. Um, but I think that um, now we have some of the great leadership in place who are doing some of the right things. We've got great young players who seem like they're ready to lead this team, hopefully into the playoffs. One of the things I regret is I was unable to go. I actually had tickets with friends to go see the Detroit Tigers play the the Yankees in New York. This was like circa 2013. And I don't know how well your memory is for this, but it was the series again in New York where Miguel Cabrera hit back-to-back home runs on back-to-back nights against Mariano Rivera. And oh, I, I was going to go to the one, but then something outside of my control happened and I couldn't go. And I was like, ah, when I was watching the highlights, I was like, I could have been there but to see two of the all-time greats battle. Right. It really is unbelievable the types of teams that we had. When you, when you look at the rare air that a player like Miguel Cabrera is in, an all-time great He's in the top 10 all around baseball players who have ever played. And he just, he doesn't, in my view, I think he does get a lot of respect from around the league. You know, he's in the conversation with guys like Hank Aaron and Mickey Mantle and things like that. When you look at what their stats are um, and the few players who were able to reach the milestones that he reached. And then meanwhile, he's on a team with guys like Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer. You know, they were on all those teams. Um, there's a lot of Cy Youngs, a lot of MVPs that were stacking up in that locker room. And boy, I wish we would have won one of those series. I think one of the worst, and I say this is like, I know there are big problems that people have in life. So take this from a sports perspective, but one of the worst moments in my entire life was the ALCS against Boston. We were up 
We were winning that game. And then all of a sudden, David Ortiz just rips a grand slam into the bullpen at Fenway Park. And that was it for us. <laughs> they, they had the, the, the Red Sox just had that amazing run. And, and David Ortiz just rips one. Torrey Hunter's running towards the, to the outfield fence and just flips right over it. And then there's this Boston cop just jumping up and down in the bullpen. And, and that vision is just burned into my brain. Just so much potential. And you know what? It's, it's hard to get to the top. It really is. And hopefully we'll be back there. It seems like baseball offers one team every decade, every 10 years. When you look back at that roster and you're like, how in the world didn't they do it? And yeah. the Detroit Tigers being one, the overlapping in, into the 2010s, and the Washington Nationals being another. When yeah. and this is this is recent history, you look back and you're like, wait a minute, wait, wait a wait a minute. It just keeps going on and on and on. And then you think, how didn't they win? Because they did win, right. but they had they 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 let Bryce Harper go, and I, I it was just unbelievable how they could have let him go. I mean, that fan base, because I remember, and and you've probably been you know, in the RFK days of the Washington nationals. And I was living in DC and I was, I was making nothing and you, know, you could go for five bucks and then you could buy hot dogs on the way into the game from like the street guys for like a buck. So I would be in it for like less than $10. And boy, I went to a lot of those games and nobody did. I mean, it was like, what was this? Ryan church? They had uh, Alfonso Soriano was on those teams, as I recall, um, but nobody went. And then the Nationals got good. And then all of a sudden it was like the thing to do in D.C. It's amazing what a successful team's run can do for like a town's psyche. You know, it gives everybody something to rally around. And D.C. is the type of city that doesn't have that normally. Right, because it's you were talking about Indiana having basically being partitioned off with all these baseball fandoms. It's the same in DC because yeah. no one's a local; everyone's from all over the world. Forget about the country, right. and so they all. And so when another big big team comes to goes to Washington, you actually have like fifty fifty. There's oh, yeah. like the Nationals have one of the worst home field advantages, not because they have bad fans, but because there's just so many other fans who live in the DC area. And now Bryce Harper's on the Phillies and Trey Turner. <laughs> Yeah, and so like it was like every person from Philly would fill a uh, Nationals park for every every single one of those games, and man, I would be frustrated if I was a Nationals fan for sure. But another thing at why the, the Nationals became such a you're, you're right, and not just because they had a really good team, is that they had a really well situated they have a really well situated stadium. Nationals uh, mm -hmm. Nationals Park is right there, right off of the metro. People can walk there to work, take a bike, whatever, versus going out to RFK, which is a little, you can take the metro out there, but it's a, it's a little bit of a hike. I mean, it just, it really is wild what they've done in the last, I guess, when did that open? It would have been 08, I think 07, something like that. Like that whole neighborhood used to be like taxi cab repair shops. And then that one, there was one McDonald's on uh, South Capitol Street. And then other than that, it was like not... There wasn't anything going on there. You would get stabbed in the kidneys walking there yes. after five o'clock at night. Yes. And now it's it's incredible uh, it, what they've been able to do. Right there, about two blocks from Nationals Park, there was those. They're still there. They're three luxury apartments. They were the first ones there. And they were actually like, I don't want to say it, like, like a discount because like there was nothing to do there. Like in oh, yeah. circa 2010. And now it's, I mean, it's right, ridiculous. The it. property prices uh, around Navy Yard. Oh, yeah.
a little bit less, a little bit more than than uh, here in the wonderful Midwestern town of Indianapolis. I love it, and <laughs> I love Indianapolis. And I also I, w- I went on a day trip down. I I remember the the town just uh, I think it was with a C. The one that has all that beautiful architecture, Carmel, Carmel. Could be caramel. Carmel. Car- it was it okay. was caramel because that has all the architecture from the uh, that the construction owner gentleman from like 50, 60 years ago, where he where he said, "I'm going to pay for all of the the architects." Oh, okay, so you are talking about Columbus, and that oh, is a really okay, Columbus, story. Yeah. yeah, so um, people know the Cummins, which is one of the world's largest manufacturers of diesel engines, uh, generators, things like that. And they're they're in this little town called Columbus, Indiana. It's not, I guess it's not that little of a town anymore. Um, but they've been there for 100 years. And yeah, the CEO was basically like, we're going to make Columbus interesting. Uh, so yeah, he, uh, he funded uh, some of the world's best architects to come and design like normal buildings in Columbus, Indiana. They got cool bridges. They got the whole thing. Church, really I mean, churches, public schools, mm-hmm. uh, public libraries banks and you, you go to other places around the country and you see a generic strip mall and you're like why doesn't anyone actually take pride in designing something devote just a little bit of brain power uh to making something cooler uh, and and you talked about carmel too i mean well uh carmel has kind of done a similar thing it's incredible what they've decided to do there in in the last like 20 years where you have carmel which was a just kind of a normal suburb of indianapolis maybe a little bit on the wealthier side you know as it's really a lot of suburbs are but they decided to take a really really forward-looking view of urbanism and in a great example is they just decided we're going to get rid of every possible stoplight that we can and replace them with roundabouts they went in and really in carmel indiana today which is a pretty big town say there's 120,000 people there now is they've got rid of all but like three stoplights They've created this whole downtown area um, where they've made it walkable and they put in trails and they put in this huge performing arts facility. Um, it's home, uh, really, it's right around Christmas time now. They put in this a Christmas market, middle of Carmel, Indiana. Um, ice ranked the whole thing in earlier this year was ranked the best Christmas market in America. And, and rightfully so, because it's, it's amazing what it is to be in Indiana. You feel like you're in Bavaria, uh, which is, which is pretty wild. Tim, you're making me excited that I should book another flight to Indianapolis to catch an Indianapolis Indians game and also mm-hmm. drive over to Carmel to check out this something I had, I didn't know about. Yeah. It, it really is sports wise. This is a great time to be in Indianapolis. We have the NBA all-star games coming here in February, uh, which uh, everyone's really excited about. Uh, we have uh, the USA swimming trials, I think is what it is. So basically the 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 U.S. swimmers who are going to go to the Olympics are going to get picked in Indianapolis. That's coming up in June. And what's really interesting about that is they are competing at Lucas Oil Stadium. So they're installing a pool of where the Indianapolis Colts play. Um, so there's going to be like 40,000, 50,000 people watching these swimming races. And then, yeah, come for an Indianapolis Indians game. I think that um, I'm a kind of a student of uh, ballparks in general. I've, I've happened, I've been very lucky to been to a lot of them And Indianapolis was ahead of the game when it comes to um, ballparks generally, but minor league ballparks specifically in terms of finding a way to have a 
welcoming urban ballpark. And we built ours in the mid nineties. Um, and it's really today, probably one of the oldest triple a baseball stadiums, but it is just it looks as new as it was the day that it opened. And they've been really smart about continuing to invest in the property, invest in the facility. And it really is great for fans to be able to turn out to. Your next job or maybe another job you should get is uh, being the, the, the head of a uh, of uh, tourism board for, the city of indianapolis hey we do what we that's can <laughs> uh you know we you know th that's a, we we don't have they, they always say we we are i don't even know if this is true but people say this is we are the largest city in america that is not on a navigable waterway we don't have cool things there's no beach there's no big river there's no mountains uh the weather's you know fine and what we need to lean on here is being as being a cool place to go. We want people to want to be here. Uh, they've done a great job of trying to bring in big events that attract people. When they get here, we want them to feel welcome and have fun. And our downtown is great. You can, I mean, you've, I'm sure you've been here. You can walk everywhere. You get to your hotel. You don't have to drive anywhere. We got great restaurants. I mean, people talk about, you know, I mean, there's more steakhouses in downtown Indianapolis than I think anywhere. But it really is, We, the city uh, over the last several decades has really tried to develop itself into a destination and uh, a lot of cities are really trying to emulate what we've been able to do here yeah i i highly encourage everyone to go to specifically at columbus because that is an aesthetic dream i mean it's just it's joy for someone's eyes to see that things don't have to be so generic and again yeah i love indianapolis and i love the i'll talk the last thing about indianapolis to go back to the tigers is i love that they retrofit the buildings and so you see like new condos, just they were like old manufacturing. I think there was like a, a button company or something. I remember this was yeah. a couple of years ago and they don't just tear it down. Like in Miami, it's if anything's more than 20 years old, it's down done. it goes. And we're bringing, we're going to put a 50, 50 story condo there. It's like, I, I love that they preserve history in Indianapolis. Talking about excitement in baseball two I remember two years ago in 2022. Yeah. Now, well, now it's two years ago, 2022 season. I was excited to watch some Detroit Tigers baseball because they had Spencer Torkelson coming up. They yeah. had Akil Badu. They had all these young players that they drafted high. Everyone's so high on. And I, I don't know what's, what's going on. I feel like they're like, they're a lot of those players are like stuck in neutral. I don't. I would say that I feel today that we are on the upswing. And, and part of that is, and I'll freely admit, we play in the AL central. This is not the world's greatest baseball division. We were in second place last year. Nine games out of first, fine. But second place. And I think next year will be better. We have some great, I think, a great young core of players. You mentioned Spencer Torkelson, who is one of the best prospects that has come up through the Tiger system in a very long time. Had to come up maybe earlier than we would have liked. But got good experience, I think. Um, you come out of the 2022 season and, one of the things I try to do during the season, it's kind of like a tick, but I just, I try to keep, I, I keep a schedule on my desk and I just kind of like mark down wins and losses. And that way, I, and, and so each month you can, you can see like how we doing. So like, okay, we had a winning record in June or, you know, we, we didn't do anything. The last two seasons have just gotten off to just a terrible start and, and set us off for like the whole season. We've got this year going into this year. I'm really hoping that we can avoid 
the bad start where you're like nine and 20 in April or something like that. And, and try to stay as competitive as possible uh, through the spring. And I think that by summertime, you can make a run guys like Spencer Torkelson. Uh, I want to mention Riley green. Riley green is a phenomenal young player. I think that we've gotten some interesting guys in free agency in Mark Canha. They got the, um, give me the, the pitcher from Japan is made up, you know, some interesting additions and, I think it might be enough to make some waves. Let's get to 80 something wins. You know, I think that's a reasonable expectation for the Tigers this year. I don't think they're going to blow the doors off of the league, but I certainly think that it is a, it is not crazy to say this is a playoff team. This is a team that can win the AL central. I absolutely believe that's the case. And we've got a young core that's such that it's going to allow us to be successful for a couple of years if they can stay healthy and, and stay affordable in many ways, Tigers have gone undergone a lot of changes last couple of years. And our owner, Mike Illich passed away, unfortunately. And one of the things, and I think people have criticized him in the past or praised him in the past, but he was definitely willing to spend, you know, there's a reason that you could go and get Miguel Cabrera. You could go and get Prince Fielder, make some of those like big free agent halls. Because he opens checkbook, sells a lot of Little Caesars pizza. And now his son owns the team. And I'm not sure that his son, Chris Illich, who I'm sure is a lovely guy, has the same fire in the belly that Mike Illich had. Mike Illich was an Armenian immigrant, served in the Marine Corps. He was a minor league baseball player, a self-made billionaire who all he wanted was a World Series championship. And boy, he tried hard. And Chris, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I think he, I think in hiring Scott Harris, I, I don't know if I mentioned that. I think that was a great hire, a young guy um, who seems to be doing a lot of right things, especially on the analytical side, on the data side, on the business side, in replacing Al Avila, who I think was a great lieutenant of Dave Dabrowski. But mm, I think that set us back a couple years in terms of what that rebuild I think we should have been out of the rebuild by now, no question. But Scott Harris has taken us in the right direction, and hopefully all the uh, stars can align. But I really think I'm excited about a young core with Riley Green, with Spencer Torgelson. I think I mentioned Parker Meadows. I think he's going to be a great player. On the pitching side, I think we have some. We we have been lucky to have drafted some great young pitchers uh, that, if they can develop, can do really well. Um, guys like Tarek Skubal who I think is going to be um, really good. Guys like Casey Mize, uh, who came out of college, kind of waiting to see if Matt Manning can pan out. He's been, I would say, very unlucky when it comes to pitching, but he's only 25. You know, he got drafted in 2016. This will be like his eighth year of professional baseball, and he's only 25 years old. So I'm optimistic. I think everyone's optimistic in December, but I think we've got a good reason to be so. Tim, I especially like your point of um, the American League Central not being the strongest division. I genuinely, I, I agree with you that any anybody, especially, especially the Detroit Tigers, can take the division. Because I think of, you were talking about the Illich family, the, I forget the billionaire's name that bought the Kansas City Royals about four or five years ago. And his whole thing was, I, I'm a, I was a Royals fan always, and I'm going to invest all this money. And it really, it, it hasn't come through. And then you look at the Chicago White Sox, where, I don't know if you heard, but 
Reinsdorf's right. Jerry Reinsdorf during yeah. the during the winter meetings, he held. I, I don't know if you know, but he he actually met with the mayor of Nashville talking about potentially moving the team down there. And this is not getting a lot of press, as I think, as it should be. You see all the other teams in, in the American League Central, some of them are trying, and you're like, yeah, the, the Detroit Tigers could absolutely end up in the playoffs next year. And I did see that thing about Nashville, and I think if I'm a Southsider, that's heartbreaking to hear. I feel just terrible for like what's going on in Oakland right now, and as they sort of, that's a team that's searching for a home. It certainly seems like they're going to Vegas. Fine. If you're a fan, I, I can't imagine the the Tigers moving to Portland, Oregon. You know, I, I just can't. That would just be, that would be heartbreaking. And I know that there are, the A's haven't always been in Oakland. But if but, the Tigers did move to Portland, you, Tim, you just have to buy some flannel shirts and break, yeah, break out some mm-hmm. old Nirvana CDs. I mean, that's not Seattle, but still, it's rainy yeah. Northwest. I've seen Portlandia, and I don't know that that's really my vibe. But uh, I hope they figure that out, and I hope the White Sox stay in Chicago forever. Uh, they've been a great rival of ours for a century or more and have certainly battled with them. Even recently, I think a lot about the Ozzie Guillen days when he was the manager there and trading barbs back and forth. You know, we need the White Sox in Chicago. I can't imagine them leaving. I hope that they can uh, figure it out. In fact, Tigers opening day this year is against the White Sox. So looking forward to that. They're not going to resign Tim Anderson and Reinsdorf is, I mean, not, not to talk about ageism, but the man is well into his eighties. Like how, how if, if they even move to Nashville, how many years are you going to actually, in air quotes, enjoy them there? I, I, whatever. I'm always for the fans and the players versus uh, the, the, the short-term interest of these billionaires. That's right. It's just a incredible the value of these teams just for existing. And, and I'm for people making money like anything else. But when you look at the returns that you can get on these teams just for owning them, they're never, ever going to go down in value and so when one team gets sold for billions everyone knows the next team that gets sold is going to be for like 20 percent more than that because there's every billionaire in the country wants one of these teams and they don't care which one it is but as baseball fans we always have fantasies of what we can do and what we can't do tim if you were to be the newly named general manager of the Detroit Tigers, and it doesn't matter. You, I mean, you just you, you anything you do affects the organization. What's one or two things that you would do to help improve your Detroit Tigers? Well, you know, uh, I, I think that I would – let's take a, the, this question from two perspectives. And I am not a – I'm a baseball watcher, right? I don't pretend to to know a lot about the the business side of the game. I guess I read about it a lot but certainly would like to see us open that checkbook and be in the mix for a lot of these free agents. Um, We certainly, we've shown that when we do that, we can absolutely compete. I think one of the, the, here's an underrated thing that I would do, and this is a dumb thing to feel strongly about. uh, I'll freely admit, but several years ago, I happened to think that the old English D, the Detroit Tigers home uniform is one of the most iconic uniforms in sports. It's clean it's classic. It looks amazing. And for the last 100 years, every Tiger has really played with the same uniform on. And I think that's a powerful to be able to draw a line from guys like Mickey Cochran and Charlie Geringer and Hank Greenberg and Al Kaline. And they all wore the same shirt. They all wore the same D on their chest. 
it's always been this quirk for the Detroit Tigers that they had a different old English D on their jerseys as they had on their hats. I don't know why that was. It just was the, the way it was. So like three years ago, some genius in the marketing department's like, oh, those, these, these old English D's are different. That's weird. Let's change it. And I just think that was a dumb idea. They changed the old English D on the world's best baseball uniform. I, I would change it back. That's what I would do. They can handle the business of the baseball. We're going we're gonna to call the Nike guys and change the uniform back to the original old English D. Something tell, all right, so you would open up the checkbook to get free agents and change the uniform back. Something tells me that you aren't, you aren't going to break out your own personal checkbook to buy some of the City Connect jersey whenever they come out for the Detroit Tigers. You know, we've got some of some of the great, great classic uniforms. I hope they get back to those. And not to say, like, it's a small change, but to me, it's like you can look at a picture of Hank Greenberg. You should be able to look at a picture of Riley Green and they have the same jersey on. I think that's a powerful message to send to these guys that you're part of something that is much bigger than than just this season. That's definitely along the lines with, uh, like, the New York Yankees. Yeah. The Steinbrenners are like, we will, they basically said that we will not participate in the City Connect uh, I, jersey uniform. I think that's great. You know, th- this would be like them getting rid of their pinstripes. No one thinks they should do that. And that's one of my other pet peeves about baseball. How many times have you walked into like a lid store and you saw a Derek Jeter jersey on the wall with his name on the back? And it's like, come on, guys. Too Derek many times. Jeter didn't have his name on his back. You're telling me some kid gets to buy one? Please. You want a Derek Jeter jersey? It just has a number two. We obviously when we travel, we love to eat or have a have a have something good to drink, whatever it may be, tea, coffee, whatever. If and when we go to Indianapolis, what's a few local places that you enjoy going to to have a cup of coffee, tea, a drink, food? Yeah, I think that uh Indianapolis is lucky to have a lot of great spots. I think that the one place you always have to start recommending is St. Elmo's here in town. It's it's the most important restaurant in Indiana. The brewery? So St. Elmo's, it's a steakhouse. Oh, okay. Uh, never mind. I'm sorry. It's, it's known for um, the world's hottest shrimp cocktail. Fine. And the shrimp cocktail is phenomenal there. You should have it when you come to Indianapolis. But it's just a great classic restaurant with very just professional uh, staff who take care of every guest that goes there. It's locally owned and they do a great job. The best part about it too is that they've kind of expanded. So there's another restaurant called Harry and Izzy's, which is right next door. Has a lot of the same beef and the same trim cocktail, but maybe in a more casual environment. And you really can't go wrong and, and it really won't break the bank either at Harry and Izzy's. So I'm a big fan of that place. Coffee. I like, uh, I'm a um, black coffee kind of person. Um, but if you want a good cup of like hipster coffee, you know, like just the absolute most pretentious coffee that you can have that like they can tell you about the origin of the beans and the temperature of the water. And the man who held the bean. Yes. In Ethiopia before it got yes. to you. The, the the fellow fair trade farmer in Ethiopia. Uh, there's a place that's, uh, that's actually in our building it's called commissary and they do a great job and they have some of the best coffee that you could ever have. And it's at uh, commissary coffee corner of New York and Alabama street in downtown Indianapolis. The reason I said the brewery is because they're there. They're, I went to a brewery in Indianapolis that used to be a, a, a church and I just oh. completely forgot what it's called, but yeah. So you're thinking of, 
why can't I, it's, why can't I remember the name of that place? I can tell you exactly where it is. And it's by those apartments you were, you were describing too. I can't even remember the name of that brewery. Well, yeah, they do a great job. We got great breweries here in town. Uh, Sun King is here. Um, and they think it's called a uh, St. Joseph's St. Joseph's. That's what it was. Yeah. Uh, they, they do a great job. They've got good food as well. Uh, Sun King is here. Uh, Upland Brewing is here. Uh, and I serve, I happen to serve on the Indiana state fair board and we put on a, uh, wine and spirits competition every year. And we put on a brewer's cup every year. There's two of the, um, uh, events that I have to kind of help organize. I'll tell you, we've got some great, great wine, spirits, and beer uh, made here in Indiana, and you really can't go wrong with any of them. Not at all. Tim, you are a very busy man. You're VP <laughs> at Hathaway. You're leading. You're one of the leaders of the charge for renewable energy in the state of Indiana. And then you, you're what, what is this? What what is this last one you you just shared with us? Oh, <laughs> I serve on the Indiana State Fair Board. There you go. Uh, so yeah, I don't know how kind of I don't know how you have time points. to even be a Detroit Tigers fan anymore. <laughs> well, you know what? You know the, the, what I love about it is baseball is better almost when you're listening to it, uh, and when you're riding uh, to an event uh, back and forth, you can just put it on your phone, and it's just great. Um, and I think that uh, between the Tigers, the Indianapolis Indians, uh, I really just try to be just as much of a fan of the game as I can and being able to travel around the country, you know, haven't done as well the last several years, but you know, really I'm up to hundred something ballparks and uh, going to try to get the last few this season. I think we're going to try to uh, knock out at least the major league ones and going to be more excited about the 2024 season. There's a reasonable amount of optimism for the, um, the tigers. I think that uh, hopefully will be the, the rebuild will officially be over. But uh, never say never. Maybe too. That's uh, easy to say in December. You know, let's talk in May. Fingers crossed. The last part about visiting stadiums. I'm sure you've already gone to Lone Depot Park down in Miami. But in mm-hmm. February, in February, they're going to be playing the uh, the Caribbean Series. All of the the Latin teams are playing there for about like ten days, which is going to be amazing. And I am I'm definitely going to a few of those so games. So I I've been to Lone Depot. What was it called when I went there? Um, the first time I went there, it was for world baseball classic. And I saw the U S play the Dominican Republic. And that was wild. It was like, number one, we're sitting there in Miami and I'm not like, I'm not sitting here saying, you know, Miami is like the capital of like Latin America. Right. And it was probably 10 to one Dominican Republic fans. And they were just going wild the whole game just you know yelling and they all had noisemakers i mean it was just crazy and then the other funny side the second story about marlins park i saw the only no hitter i've ever seen in person was at marlins park and it was on our good tigers teams what year was that i'd have to look it up anyways i saw the marlins no hit the tigers and it was the only time i'd ever seen a no hitter in person and it was against the Tigers, and we we're just sitting there like, come on. Like, we came all the way here for this. So I was there with my cousin, and we we were not shy about talking how a no-hitter was coming. You know, I know that you're not supposed to talk about it, but we definitely were. Yeah, because we were trying uh, to break it up. Uh, yeah, and it didn't work. We talked about it a lot, and it didn't work. So um, I've seen some good – I've seen some very good baseball in Marlins Park. I just wish the Tigers would have played better. 
Tim, I want to thank you for joining us. I had a good time chatting with you. Let us know where we can potentially find you on social media or uh, or uh, the company you work at. Yes. Yeah, or so any I'm other? For... I'm sorry. Any other of the 17 jobs that you have? <laughs> So uh, I work for a company called Hathaway Strategies. We're a PR government affairs consulting company here in Indianapolis. Uh, and uh, you can, the company is at Hathaway HQ. Uh, and then me personally, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I guess Twitter. No one's on Twitter. I'm on X at Tim Phelps on X and, and uh, Instagram. Tim R. Phelps on Instagram. You can follow along. Normally, mostly just tweet about uh, the Tigers, Michigan State basketball and every now and then some work stuff. So anyways, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed the chance to talk to you and um you know, hopefully uh, some of our wishes for the Tiger season come true this year. Thanks to Tim Phelps for joining us. Again, I apologize for my for the audio on my part, but at least when I was thinking about this podcast, recording it, editing it, I've been drinking a good American beer called Fishtown. It's a premier ale from Myers Brewing Company in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And what I like about it is that there are hints of smokiness. I love beer with smokiness, but I want more smokiness. And I also want to know how in the world you make a beer taste smoky. I don't know. Those are, these are existential questions that are not going to be answered in the next 30 seconds as we sign off. Because I want to thank you for listening to Last Call Baseball. I'll talk with you again in two weeks. Be great and get home safe.